Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. And today with me is John Krasinski from uh, the Associated Press based out of Minneapolis, where today is, I don't know, probably one of the bigger days in Timberwolves franchise history, I would say, with the uh, with the team getting close to and, and sometime here shortly, uh, almost certainly going to finalize a deal with Tom Thibodeau to be the uh, the coach and president of basketball operations, but more importantly, really than anything, is just have him come and coach. You know the the best group of of young talent in the NBA. So uh, so John, how are, how are things in Minneapolis? Uh, pretty stunned to be honest with you, Tim. I mean, I you like I, I've watched your tweets over the last few minutes here, and you've kind of mentioned how you do believe that nationally, you know, maybe a lot of people don't really understand how good of a job this is. And that's true. And I do honestly also think that there's still a little bit of disbelief locally, uh, just from the fan base, that they are actually in position to land such a high profile, such an accomplished coach like Tom Thibodeau. I mean, uh, you know, th- this is a, a fan base that has endured 12 straight years without the playoffs, which is an unfathomable, an unfathomable run. And they've heard in you know over the years varying pitches about you know hey just just this is the rebuild this year that's going to take us over the top this no first it's uh Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio or it's Rick Adelman or it's um Kurt Rambis coming in with the Laker mystique or it's Michael Beasley we're going to get stuff out of him that we haven't gotten from anyone else and so they've heard all of these kind of pitches before and and they're worn out by it and so even as they saw you know the collection com- of talent coming together here they still you know I can't really believe that this is happening and so I think there is kind of some shock some disbelief and and it's really kind of starting to turn into real excitement that yes this is actually legitimately happening in Minnesota, that basketball is actually coming back here. You know, I I haven't really been able to stop thinking, especially today, that it, it's it's not going to be the same situation as in Philadelphia. But I, I can't I can't help but think about Flip Saunders mm-hmm. um, today. I've been thinking about it a lot, and uh, you know, it, it's really it's really remarkable the job that Flip Saunders did with this team. Um, you know, he he comes in a couple years ago. He he has Kevin Love there. It looks like just a completely untenable situation. He manages to get Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love, even though Anthony Bennett turned out to be um, to be a bust. You know he gets he gets Andrew Wiggins for him. He drafts Zach Levine. Um, he he has the franchise well set up. Uh, you know drafts Carl Towns, gets the number one pick, gets Carl Towns, and and now a year later, you know unfortunately Flip has passed away. But you, you look at this team, and between Towns and Wiggins and Levine, you know there's a chance they could move up again in the draft. Even if they don't, they're probably going to have the sixth or seventh pick. Um, you know, they've still got Ricky Rubio. They've got several interesting guys on the bench, whether it's Gorgie Jang and or Tyus Jones or Shabazz Muhammad. At least guys that can be, you know, rotation players in the league, um, still on rookie contracts. You know, it, it, it I can I can understand. Um, why there is such disbelief in Minneapolis right now. I mean, I, I just finished a column, like I told you before we started, um, on, on how I think the Timberwolves are, are really set up to be the next great NBA team now that they've hired, you know, what I think is the best coach on the market. And, 
it's it's really it's re- Minnesota's NBA history is is kind of remarkable. I mean, for people, I mean, you know, a lot of people just think of them as being bad. But if you could, can you kind of just walk people through, you know, just how bad this franchise has been through basically its entire existence so far? Yeah, it, it it's been a lot of really dark days here, and from you know the moment they came in to the league in '89. They won, I think, 30 or 31 games the first year, which was really surprisingly successful under Bill Musselman, who Tom Thibodeau was on that staff as an assistant uh, with the inaugural Timberwolves team. And his Musselman, first NBA job. His first NBA job. And, and Musselman was the, a grinder like Tibbs is and you know, just really tries to squeeze every last win out of a team. And, and so I think that's part of where... Tibbs' style was kind of honed and developed, was was learning under Bill Musselman. But, you know, they, they went forever and ever without, you know, sniffing the playoffs. Then they, they you know, Flip was part of the group with Kevin McHale that really went out on a limb and changed the league in 1995 when they drafted Kevin Garnett straight out of high school. That never happened, you know, before. I think it had been 20 years or so since, uh, since a high schooler had been picked straight to the NBA. And, kind of ushered in this new era, but KG certainly came in and, re- and brought the, the franchise from um, the, the, the depths of, of the league and to uh, at least a stable, consistent winner. They made the playoffs eight straight years. They made the Western Conference Finals in 2003-2004, and you know, weren't, was it not for, uh, for an injury to Sam Cassell, they may have even gotten to the finals that year. But there's been very little success. That's the only year they've actually any won any playoff series was the year they went to the Western Conference Finals. And you know, even right before KG came, uh, the the team was uh, almost going to move, almost going to move to New Orleans uh, when Glenn Taylor stepped in and 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 decided to buy the team and keep and keep the team local. So that's how bad it was uh, around here. And then you know, after the after the conference finals run. It really just went downhill in a hurry again. The team really imploded. You know, a lot of greed and contract disputes with Cassell and Latrell Sprewell, and um, and then it's just been it's just been worse and worse since then. In the last twelve years, I think there's three or four sixty loss seasons. Uh, you had the David Kahn era, which was just a disaster. <laughs> I mean, you had yes. David Kahn and Kurt Rambis teaming up for 32 wins in two years and, <laughs> and just fighting each other and, and, and turning the whole place into a dysfunctional situation. Um, and, and even, you know, they've just been kind of digging out of things forever and ever and never able to really find their way. They brought in Rick Adelman, they brought in Kevin Love, they brought in Ricky Rubio, they brought in a few other pieces and, just never have been able to get on track again. And now finally, like you said, when Flip came in two years ago and you know swung the trade to get Andrew Wiggins and 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 get Love out of here and then you know got Towns and you know he traded Trey Burke on draft night for Shabazz Muhammad and Gorgie Jang, which was a great move. And um, he's just made a lot of really, really smart decisions that have you know, really turn the franchise in a completely different direction and have it have it ascending to the point where, you know, and Milt Newton deserves some credit with, for this as well as kind of assisting Flip Saunders in it, but building the assets and the talent to even get a guy like Tom Thibodeau to consider this job. I mean, you know, forever and ever, you we were told around here that 
star free agents, star coaches, star executives didn't want to come to Minnesota and 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 come to this this you know cold environment and then in this dysfunctional organization. Well, now they have all this talent. They have a brand new practice facility that's just gorgeous right across the street from from the arena downtown and and now they have one of the best coaches in the game coming here as well. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's a kind of a power play and a power move that that is just um, totally startling and remarkable considering the history of this franchise. Well, and let's be honest, right? Star free agents aren't going to come to Minnesota. I mean, they're still not going to. But you don't need any star free agents now. That's kind of right. the that's kind of the, the the amazing thing about this situation. There's so much young talent there that really the Timberwolves need to go out and find complimentary guys. You know, guys like, you know, just as a name I thought of today, just thinking about it, like a guy like Jared Dudley would make a ton of sense for the Timberwolves. Like just good quality vets, you know, sign a couple of those guys to kind of mix in with the young guys they've got. And all of a sudden, I mean, that team, you know, I think the Timberwolves next year are going to win over 50 games. I mean, I Mm -hmm. I think I, I look at them as being on the exact same trajectory as that Oklahoma City Thunder team when they won 20 games under uh, on Kevin Durant's rookie year, then they won 23 games in Russell Westbrook's rookie year the following season, and then they won 50 after they mm-hmm. drafted Harden and they brought Ibaka over. Um, I, I have no reason to think that the Timberwolves can't, you know, they went from 16 to 29. I have no reason to think they can't go to, to 50 or more um, given how good Towns was and, and given – you know the the pieces they've got there, but let, let's let's back up for just a second. Um, just obviously, it is a great hire to get Tibbs. He's clearly the best coach on the market. I wrote last week. This is the best job on the market. I think it makes a ton of sense for him to go there. Um, there has been some concerns, both because of his history of being kind of a hard driver, and as you said, a guy that is going to milk you know everything he can get out of the roster he's got with a young team like this. There's also been some concerns about having a guy like him having total personnel control over a team. Um, you know, I know he's bringing in Scott Layden to be the general manager, um, but assuming everything works out the way it, it looks like it's going to. But what are your thoughts on, on both of those things, and are either of them something that should be a concern for the Wolves and their fans going forward? Yeah, I, I do think they're valid concerns, Tim, because you look at it, I mean, Tibbs is the ultimate coach. Like, he... He eats, sleeps, and drinks video. Like all he wants to do is scout and and game plan and and really just grind it out and 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 get into a game and and go X's and O's and match wits and and win these games. And and so you know I talked to Flip a lot about this when he took on the dual role as well. There is a balance that needs to be struck because the coach always just wants to win today, win the game today. That's all that matters. And the, uh, the executive wants to win the month, win the year, win the next three or four years. And so sometimes those are conflicting agendas. And a lot of times that's why, you know, you want uh, uh, to have kind of the separation of church and state, if you will, or however you want to describe it, where you have a separate executive who is able to kind of look at the, take the long view and then the head coach take the short view. And from talking to people here around the scenes and who are involved in the negotiations and things, they absolutely had those concerns with Tom Thibodeau about how he would approach this dual role. And I'm told that 
uh, that you know, th- those were that subject was broached in the negotiations, and that Tibbs said, "Hey, look, I I do understand. I spent a year." Um, taking my, a sabbatical, going around and visiting other teams to see how they do things, and they just the the hope here is that um, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, Tom Thibodeau, um, in his second go around running the show with with all the power um, and all the comfort that can kind of come with that, that he will take just a little different approach. I mean, he's certainly not going to change everything that he is. I mean, he he wouldn't be the success, and the Timberwolves wouldn't want him if if he were to do that. But there is the belief that he can make the adjustments necessary, and that given those two roles, he understands that this has got to be—he's got to be in it for the long haul, and and so he might just take just a little bit softer edge with uh, with these guys, and just kind of figure out how to manage minutes a little bit more, how to um, you, how to just keep guys fresh, how to make sure that. You're, they're not only engaged and 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 hungry and ready to beat the opponent, but they're they feel like they're all in one boat together and rowing in rowing in the same direction. So all of those things have been talked about and discussed. Now we'll see. We won't really know the answer until he actually gets here and gets in the job and starts doing it. But no question, it's been at least been addressed and it's at least been talked about. Um, in the early stages here uh, as the deal is getting closer to being completed. Well, and and from my perspective, I think that Tom's biggest thing from talking to people around him and just kind of surveying the scene over the last over the last few months to a year as he's, you know, as you mentioned, kind of done the sabbatical is that I think the biggest reason he wanted to have control is so he didn't have a situation like what happened in Chicago where mm-hmm. basically – you know, after a couple of years, that just basically turned into a knife fight every day between him and the front office there, and he wanted to avoid that really at all costs. I don't, I don't see him as a guy that's really all that interested in in going out and doing deals and and trying to sign guys and doing all that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I, I think he, you know, he, Scott Layden's a guy he's familiar with. They spent a lot of time together in New York. I, I think that I think that that makes a lot of sense from that standpoint. Kind of like. You know his good friend Stan Van Gundy in in Detroit has a guy in Jeff Bauer who he respected and trusted to be the GM and do the day to day stuff where Stan would kind of get final say, but that the 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 kind of day to day drudgery of the job was being handled by somebody else as opposed to other situations like maybe in L.A. where you know things I think I think Doc Rivers has probably had a lot more say in that kind of stuff yeah. than than maybe what's happened in Detroit. And I think you could see what the difference has been. Um, yeah. It, no, go ahead. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, but and, and you're right. And I think the key here, Tim, is that you have to know what you don't know, right? I mean, so Tom has to come in and understand that there are going to be the nuances of the CBA, salary cap issues, um, maybe even the negotiations with agents and interacting that that just aren't his forte. And so as long as he's willing to delegate those to Scott Layden and to anyone else, that they bring along, it certainly has a real chance for success. The only pitfall, or one of the few pitfalls, I would say that that you can run into sometimes is, and I talked with Flip about this a lot too. Like during the Ricky Rubio contract negotiations, sometimes you know it's best to have a good cop and a bad cop in terms of the coach can say when when you're in negotiations with a with a player, say, hey, just just keep playing hard. I got your back. Right. I'm lobbying for you. And, you know, and let's do this together. And then and then the, while the GM is playing hardball and saying, no, we, you need to take this number, you need to take this number. Well, 
in this situation, if there is some kind of disagreements, uh, there's nowhere else for Tom to go. So he not only has to kind of preside over the final negotiations, but also has to coach the player on the floor. And and that's where there can be, you know, th- that's where things can bleed into each other and, and you can have a little bit of an issue. But as long as there's the collaboration and the delegation with Scott Layden, I think that the chances of it having success are 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 are, are very possible and, and, and certainly high, you could you could even say with you know, and, and a lot of that stuff, you know, gets taken care of if you're winning a lot of games too. I mean, everybody's a lot happier when you're winning fifty games than when you're losing fifty. So I think a lot of that can kind of, you know, take care of itself along the way as long as you have success on the court. No, I totally, totally agree. Totally agree with all that. And I, I do think that's a valid concern. And look, I don't I, I've kind of gone back and forth with a few people recently about this coaching GM dual role thing and and look, I mean, Greg Popovich has had this role in, in San Antonio for 20 years, basically. Mm-hmm. So I do think it is a role, it is a situation that can work. And I think in Detroit, it's worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think, in, yep. I think in, with the Clippers, it hasn't. I right. think, you know, it, I think it is something like like a lot of things that you kind of have to analyze on a case by case basis. And I think for a lot, I think this is really the perfect situation for Thibodeau, really, on just about every level. But Mainly, I mean, look, what are the two biggest knocks on this guy, right? He's too focused on the on the here and now, and if he's if he's also being an executive, is he going to be too focused on the here and now? Well, mm-hmm. the Timberwolves have a roster full of guarantee contracts, so yep. they can't really go out and sign six veterans if somebody's afraid they're going to do that, and I don't think Thibodeau would do that anyway. And if you're going to play guys more minutes, I mean, this is the time to play guys more minutes. I mean, Andrew Wiggins played 36 minutes this year. I think Towns played around 30 you know, if they're both playing in the low to mid 30s in minutes, you know, if they're both playing 34, 35 minutes, it's really not the end of the world. Um, right. So, I, you know, I, I think if, if he's going to take over a young team, you know, I think this is the team to do it with. Now, let, let's look at the, the actual Timberwolves themselves. Uh, obviously, you know, had a nice finish this season, won 29 games. I was at the game in, uh, in Oakland when they beat the Warriors to end their um, – their consecutive uh, their consecutive home winning streak, I think, at fifty three, which is a league record. Um, they went on to beat Portland on that same road trip. Uh, Carl Towns, I put him on my third uh, my third team All NBA team as a center. I, I think he's got a chance to be the first team center for the next decade. Um, but you know, you saw that team as much as anybody this year. Um, you know, everybody knows about Towns and Wiggins, but if you could just kind of give people a picture of what what this team has grown into over the course of the past few months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think you do you do start at the top because what's the hardest thing to find in the league is a star player, right? Or players. And they they're really hard to identify, they're harder even to acquire whether it's in the draft or, or free agency or trades or or anything like that. So it's like a starting it's like an ace starting pitcher in baseball or a quarterback in football. I mean, you need to get really good ones to have a chance to win and 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 forever and ever the wolves hadn't had that hadn't had those star power since they traded KG away essentially in like uh, 06 or 07 and so um, what they have now at right at the top of the food chain are two difference makers and it starts with towns i mean at 19 20 years old he is already so polished and so mature and has such a variety to his game on both ends of the floor it's staggering he had the best rookie season for a big man since Tim Duncan 
with the Spurs. I mean, he was that good. And not a lot of people saw him. He didn't play on national TV all the time. But um, he can shoot the three. He can post up. He can run the floor. He can handle the ball. He can pass it. Um, you, if you saw what Thibodeau did with with Joe Kim Noah in Chicago and essentially turning him into an MVP candidate the way that he ran the offense through him and turned him into a triple-double guy, I mean, Towns is so much more physically gifted. Right, Towns is than, Joe Kim Noah with a jump shot. Yeah, and yeah, with a jump shot, with a handle, right. I mean, with everything. So he is the next generation the superstar uh, joke him Noah. So you put him in this offense and I think he's the sky's the limit for him. And then the, 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 the really intriguing and encouraging thing that this organization has right now are like three of the main components, Towns, Wiggins, and Levine, Zach Levine really seem to complement each other because Towns is very comfortable in the spotlight. He likes doing media interviews. He likes engaging the public. He's kind of the alpha of the three of them, um, whereas Wiggins, for as physically gifted and as as much as he has been in the spotlight since he was a young kid in Canada, he doesn't want anything to do with media attention. He doesn't. He's very quiet. Um, he is happy to defer uh, all of the promotional things to Carl Towns and to Zach Levine and and things like that. So they mesh well together. And Zach Levine is kind of the comic relief, the guy that kind of keeps. The three of them, you know, just laughing and joking and and having a good time. And he he also quietly developed into a starting caliber shooting guard. So you have those three and, and, you know, fans around here are a little gun shy because KG and Marbury were supposed to be the next Stockton and Malone. And and they kind of fell into the greed aspect of things and Marbury asked out. And so it all kind of imploded. But at least at first glance here, it seems like those three guys really complement each other well and should get along for a long, long time. And then you add Ricky Rubio to the mix who, you know, I know a lot of people really think you, you have to have a scoring point guard in this league and you have to have a guy that, that can make open shots. And it's true that he has to make open shots. But I think when you have an offense that has Carl Towns who needs shots and Zach Levine who needs shots and Andrew Wiggins who needs shots, having a pass first point guard like Rubio really does kind of fit in to what they want to accomplish and, and can keep everyone happy a little bit better and can keep that offense flowing. He's also a very good defensive point guard. Uh, he was on my second team all defense. He's on a lot of teams second team all defense as a point guard, which um, you just really quick hands, very smart. Um, and so he kind of is the straw that stirs the drink. And then you have a couple other really good role players, Gorgie Jang, it's a really solid, I think he's a good third big on a, on a playoff caliber team. And, and Shabazz Muhammad is just a score. Just, he can put it in the, in, the, in the bucket, and he's just natural that way and is a nice spark plug off the bench. Um, Nemanja Bielitsa is another intri- interesting piece. He had a rough year with injuries, but he's a EuroLeague MVP. He's very versatile. He's 6'11". He can shoot it. He can handle it. Um, and I think in his second year in the NBA, he'll have a lot more success and be a lot more comfortable with things. And so, um, just there, there are a lot of really good young pieces that, that do fit together. They still have a lot of work to do. I mean, they need help shooting. They need help with another big man in their depth in the front court. Um, they could use another backup point guard, things like that. But the hard work is really done for this team. They have that core together that they can just build around for the next five or six years. 
On the exciting thing from my standpoint is just how good they can be defensively. I mean, you kind of ticked them off, but um, Rubio is an elite defensive point guard. Wiggins has a chance to be an all-world defensive ace on the perimeter. Um, Just incredibly athletic guy. Uh, And and Thibodeau is the perfect guy to kind of maximize his abilities there. Uh, Zach Levine is a really athletic guy. He's got... You know, probably needs to get a little stronger to guard uh, shooting guards if that's going to be his long-term position, which I think anybody who's watched him play would agree at this point that he's not a point guard, um, which is fine. But, you know, he probably needs to get a little stronger. But still, he's got more than enough athleticism to be a good defender at the two spot. And and Towns has got a chance to just do everything at at center. I mean, he, you know, watching them play Golden State, I just kept thinking that this guy is Draymond Green just four or five inches taller than Draymond Green. So um, it, it's certainly a pretty exciting uh, a mix when you look at all that stuff for Thibodeau to work with. Plus, you know, Gorgie Jenk could be a good defender off the bench. Um, mm-hmm. They've got, you know, they've got all those other pieces you ran through on the bench. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of raw material there for Tom to turn this team into an elite defensive team, which I think if you look at them this year, I think they finished 27th in the league in defense. You know, next year, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I would be really surprised if they're not at least sniffing the top 10 or, or comfortably inside it, given all the raw material he's got to work with. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you, you, and you bring in a coach with that mentality and that focus, and that is, there's no question they're, 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 they're all really smart too. I mean, Towns is incredibly smart. Wiggins is a, really, really smart uh, basketball player and very instinctual and can pick up things quickly. Rubio is a, it, it has been playing since he's 14, and so he really knows the game. And so it, it, he should have some willing uh, pupils here to, to teach and to mold into that defensive team. Now the question that I'm going to have and I'm going to be really intrigued about is what his, does he do offensively with them? Because it's, it's a super athletic group that really likes to play free and get up and down the court and you know accentuate Rubio's strengths in the on the in transition you know throwing lob passes and finding people in, in you know in in transition um you know I think Thibodeau with Chicago was a little bit more of a slow it down half court type of a guy so can you know I I'm sure he can adapt to this but that will be you know the question you know as they enter training camp and things is is how does he kind of mold his offensive philosophies to fit this group. Cause I think his defensive philosophies, as you said, I think you're right on that. He has the tools here to work with that, that will fit just perfectly into what he wants to do to, to really wreak havoc on that end of the floor. And now it just comes down to, okay, how are they going to score now? And what, what kind of offense are they going to run? And how is he going to keep these guys happy getting up and down the floor? And I'm actually not that worried about that for them. Um, I, I went back and looked and, and before Rose got hurt that first year in, in Chicago, they had a top five offense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then that second year, even though Rose missed, I think 27 out of the 66 games, they still finished tied for 10th or 11th um, in offensive efficiency. So, I mean, I, I he has been a guy to your point. That's always been a very structure oriented guy, specifically on offense. And, you know, with the amount of athleticism they have on their team, you know, it will be interesting to see if he does take the reins off a little bit. But for some of those guys, too, like for a guy like Levine and for Wiggins, I, I don't know if it'll necessarily be a bad thing if they're they're in a little more structure and forced to kind of work within the confines of things. You, you've, we've seen it at, the, at, you know, the Wolves. How many games this year were the Wolves in it right to the end? Yep. And then at the end of games, they just didn't really have anything to run. And mm-hmm. they just kind of ran themselves in circles. I mean, I remember that 
that Golden State game, Wiggins brings the ball up and just uh, in Minnesota and just you know he brings the ball up and just jacks up a twenty footer and like there wasn't any plan. And at yeah. least at least now, even if they aren't maybe as freewheeling as we would like, at least they should have a plan every time they come down the court, which I think will be a significant step ahead from where they were this year. Yeah, and and the other thing that you factor in too, Tim, is if they're playing the really locked down, get after you type defense that we expect, that creates transition opportunities right. in and of itself with yep. the turnovers that you create. And so it's a team that is really well equipped equipped to sw- switch from defense to offense in a hurry and get buckets you know, by leaking out and by, um, by getting in transition after you swipe a steal or block a shot or things like that. So that will all you know, probably generate a lot of offense in and of itself. No, totally, totally. Now, um, before, before we let you get out of here to get back to work on this, um, a couple things. Uh, first, you know, the Wolves have the, right now the fifth pick in the draft lottery, uh, which is going to be held later next month um, here in New York. Um, it, let's, let's say they end up with that fifth pick. Uh, you know, they could obviously jump up again and maybe maybe they somehow end up with the number one pick for the third straight year, which would be something. But let's just let's just say they end up with the fifth pick. What do you think this team it should be looking for with that pick going into the draft? Yeah, I, I, I think that it really has to be shooting as much as possible. They need to be you know, they were one of the last in, in attempts, three point attempts. Uh, I think there were 28th or 29th in three point attempts. Last year, they were right around 27th or 26th in three-point field goal percentage. So they need some people to stretch the floor and space the floor. Um, and so that should be priority number one. And, you know, you, you look at a guy like Buddy Heald or somebody like say, that imagine would if, fit perfect. I don't know if Buddy Heald is going to be a good NBA player or not, but given the amount of love he's already got on the Internet, <laughs> if he somehow ends up on this Timberwolves team with everything oh else they've got, the Internet is going to just completely <laughs> lose its mind for the Timberwolves. Absolutely. It'll be league pass every single night. and uh, and But he would be a great shooter off the bench, I think, just to come in and knock him down. Uh, you know, another guy that I, you know, they could look at is maybe a Chris Dunn, who is a point guard. But, you know, Tyus Jones showed some some signs. Tyus Jones is a backup, being, Jones okay, is a backup point guard anyway. He's a backup point guard anyway. But I think on a really good team, you'd probably want a little bit more um, you know, bulk and a little bit more strength and, with your number two point guard. So you could look there. But I also think, Tim, that the other thing that they'll look really hard at if they're at number five or or lower is – is packaging that with with one of their players or something to to bring in a different kind of a veteran because the, this team is so young as it is and um, and so you, you have to add not just the veterans like Garnett and Prince and Miller who they had last year who you know just didn't have a whole lot left and and didn't have a whole lot to contribute but they need you know 28 year old guys to come in here and and really supplement this roster and if they are going to make a run at the playoffs if they are going to go for 50 wins you know maybe that's one of their assets that they can pedal to to bring in a quality you know starter slash sixth seventh guy who can really come in and stabilize things at a position of need whether it's a big man um, behind Jang and Towns or whether it's a it's a shooter or 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 even a backup point guard stuff like that I mean I think that you, they they will look long and hard because we know that Tibbs really does like vets and this is a team 
that you're it's almost at its breaking point in terms of how much young how much youth you can you can add now if you really like a guy absolutely you add him and you you have him on cost certainty for for four years but um but I do think that is one of the places that they will look to see if they can maximize their assets and and really land somebody that they that they really like via trade yeah unless it's a guy like Jimmy Butler or somebody of that quality I I would be really wary of trading that pick I I, mm-hmm. I think they should just take a guy um because they have enough cap space and they've got enough young talent get that get that because that's your last shot at getting a guy that high yeah you know, so get get another good young player and then add him to that group and then so the other thing I was going to ask you was about free agency I mean uh, they're not getting guys like Al Horford and Kevin Durant. Like, even though they have all these young players, they're not getting some guy like that to go to Minnesota. But there, are, there's going to be a lot of guys on the market that I think could help them. Like I said earlier, I think Jared Dudley is a kind of guy that would make a ton of sense for them, a guy that could play the three and the four, um, maybe play some small ball four next to Towns, can stretch the floor a little bit, can shoot the ball. Um, I don't know how much you've looked at it yet, but who are some guys that are going to – if you have that are going to shake free this summer that, that you think maybe would make some sense as kind of these complimentary guys um, to kind of come in. And unlike, you know, I thought last year, like you said, Flip did a nice job of getting some, some veteran guys like, you know, Tayshawn Prince and, and uh, Andre Miller to come in and, and, and kind of show these guys how to, how to come to work every day, which I think was important. But now to kind of take the next step, who are some guys you think you could come in and maybe be the kind of pieces that, that would fit for them going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the I love the Jared Dudley um, uh, idea, and I think he would he would be a perfect guy. I know that earlier this year, the team kind of was looking hard at guys like Nicholas Batum, maybe as a guy who would come in. You're gonna have to pay a lot more money. Uh, he's not exact. He, he's probably a start caliber guy that you bring in, but um, but certainly a defensive, uh, versatile defender can hit threes. Uh, guys like that. I mean, Luol Deng. I think is he. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He's had history with Tibbs. Would you know? Would he kind of consider coming here? Is is an, is another thing. Jamal Crawford. He's a little old, and but he can still produce. He would be a nice guy off the bench for them. Uh, you know, kind of names like that really jump out at me. They had it. You know, there were people here that did like Courtney Lee, but he's kind of more of a lower ceiling guy and. And, um, and so I'm not sure if, if, if he fits, fits the mold, but certainly, uh, you know, I think some of those names and yeah, I would, I would put Jared Dudley right up near the top of guys who I think that, you know, you could go after and you could convince to come here and, and play for Tibbs and, and get some good playing time and figure you're going to win a bunch of games. Yeah. I think, I think Deng makes a lot of sense given his relationship with Tom, um, from Chicago. I, I, I mean, Nicholas Batum signed a restricted free agent deal with the Timberwolves way back when, when David yep. Gunn was there. Um, I, if they could get their hands on him, I think that would be a home run because he is exactly the kind of guy they need. Because in my mind, I think Levine is going to be best off coming off the bench long term. Right. Is kind of I mean, you mentioned Jamal Crawford. I, I don't think Jamal would be a great fit for them, but I but I think that that Zach Levine's long term future, like in an optimal world, is kind of as a a more athletic version of Jamal Crawford, a a guy that could play a little more defense, but is a guy that can come on off the bench and really light it up and shoot the ball from deep. And if you could get a guy like Batum and you put him and Wiggins on the wings, man, that would be, yeah. that would be pretty scary. So um, we'll see what happens with the Timberwolves. It should be a fun uh, summer and an even more fun season next year. I know you, I'm sure you're excited about actually watching a team that's going to be good for the first time in, uh, in quite a while. Um, but before we let you go, uh, plug, plug everything you've got to, uh, 
all the places people can find you and if there's any anything recently you want people to go read. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate it. I, you know, it's uh, John Krasinski with Associated Press. Uh, my Twitter handle is at AP Krasinski, and it's K-R-A-W-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. Uh, recently wrote a story about uh, Carl Anthony Towns and how he's kind of dealt with the death of Daryl Dawkins, uh, who is like a, an uncle to him. And uh, and also with Flip Saunders before having this amazing rookie year, and so that's one of the one of my more favorite stories I've written in in a little while. And so I you know I'd, I'd suggest you know if you if you have a chance to check that out, it's a good one. And certainly here in the next day or two, there will be a lot of Tom Thibodeau yeah, related copy that's going to be coming coming on on my Twitter feed, and we'll be posting it onto our under our website bigstory.ap.org. Um, so check all those things out and hit me up on Twitter and, uh, I appreciate the time, Tim, you do a great job. So thanks for having me here. Sure, man. And yeah, you should definitely go find John's story on towns. It was excellent. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find my, you find myself at, uh, at Tim Bontemps on Twitter or at the Washington post. Um, you can also find out my, my Facebook page, which is Tim Bontemps NBA. Um, you can please subscribe and give a five-star rating and review to, the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. That would be great. Um, thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music. And, John, thanks again for the time. I know it's been busy, um, but it, like I said, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the next uh, the next era of Timberwolves basketball. It should be fun, man. Thanks for, yeah. uh, thanks for coming on. Great. Thanks a lot, Tim. I appreciate it. We'll do it again.